Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. So, yeah, last night around 7.30, I get a call from Dustin saying he can't show his face in public today because Tennessee lost. And so he's like, all right, uh, we got to call in the backup, and here I am. Uh, nah, I'm just messing. That would be awesome. But he's out of town visiting family. He wishes he could be here this morning. But, yeah, like Catherine said, my name is Brandon. Um, I'm the student coordinator here, and we're just so pumped that you got to join us in worship this morning. Every time they give me the mic, I try to give students a shout out. And so if you are a middle school or a high school student, if you're the parent of one, we would love for you to join us um, next door during the 10 o'clock hour. Every Sunday morning, we have the best student volunteers who care so well for our students. And so make that a point to come and join us next door, 10 o'clock every Sunday. And so, again, like Catherine said, we're picking up right where we left off last week, um, part two on winning the war in your mind. Um, this idea um, was formed by Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor, and he wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, if you haven't read it, it was super helpful for me, even as I was wrestling through this topic um, and fighting some different lies and insecurities. It's an awesome resource. But we're not stealing Craig Rochelle's sermons. That would be a really, really bad look. And so you can go ahead and trust that the teaching team, we approached the text ourselves, and we formed a little two-week series based on that idea. So if you're here last week, we introduced the whole idea by saying that there is an enemy who is out to destroy your life. That's just reality. He's out to destroy your walk with Jesus He's out to destroy your family, your future, your relationships. He wants to ruin your life. And the easiest way for the enemy to do that is to sabotage our minds, to fill us with worry and anxiety, to get us distracted or discouraged. That is plan A. And for a lot of us here this morning, that's probably where we would say we're at. We're worried about the future, constantly filled with anxiety, we're so distracted that we can't focus on our relationship with Jesus. That is the goal of the enemy, to consume our minds with worry so much that we can't focus on Jesus. And so last week, part one, we talked about what it would look like for us to release this worry, release this anxiety to Jesus through prayer so we can experience peace. Now this week, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to refill our minds with what is good and right and true. And so I'm gonna pray for us before we hop into the text and then we'll read some scripture. God, we love you so much and we are just thankful for who you are. Lord, I pray for the person who came into this room who is just so consumed by worry and a fear of the future. Um, God, I'm praying that they would feel freedom that only you can offer God. And I pray for the person, Lord, who has never stepped into a relationship with you in the first place, that they would experience you this morning, God. Um, bless this time, bless my words, and we just ask this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This week we're mainly focusing on verses 8 and 9, but I'm going to read 4 through 9 to kind of give us that recap from last week. So Philippians 4 verses four through nine, it's on the screen. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, the big idea that I want us to see is this. God wants to change our thoughts because our thoughts determine our actions. God wants to change our thoughts because our thoughts determine our actions. And so how I want to kind of go about this, I want to prove first that our thoughts, what we think about, what we're worried about, really does change the way we live our life. And because that's true, we're going to see what does God want us to think about and how do I actually get there hopefully finishing out today with some really practical tools for you to be able to do that. So point number one, our thoughts determine our actions. Our thoughts determine our actions. And even more than that, I think that our thoughts determine the way that you and I perceive reality as a whole. Let me give you an example. Imagine with me that you're walking into the office one day, you're walking into school, and your friend comes up to you, your coworker comes up to you and says, Hey, I am not trying to be any type of way, but you are wearing quite literally the ugliest pairs of shoes I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, first of all, I love it when people say I'm not trying to be some type of way, and they're always some type of way. They're always mean. Whatever is following that sentence is always mean. But secondly, what am I going to start thinking about? Oh, my goodness, I knew I should have bought that other pair of shoes. I knew that would have gone better with this outfit, but it's too late. I just got to go to work. Just got to go in. So you walk into the office, you're saying hey to everybody, um, and you get this really mean look from this one coworker. You're like, oh, okay, all right. You turn around, and you see people laughing. You make eye contact. Man, what is the first thought that comes into your brain? They're laughing at my shoes. The coworker was right. This might be the ugliest pair of shoes I have ever seen. And you live that entire day thinking those thoughts. Your reality was changed by that one comment, whether he really meant it or not, that's always now in the back of your brain. Your thoughts affect the way you perceive reality. And the, the goal of the enemy is this, our thoughts don't even have to be true to affect the way we see life around us. Lies we believe can change the way we see the world. We do this with much bigger stuff. How we think about people and our friends affects the way we treat them. Our worry about the future affects the way we deal with our finances and affects the way we deal with our job. Man, our fear in life, our fear of failure affects the way we really live out our faith. Everything, every thought affects the way we live our life. As I was thinking about that, I had to ask myself this question. I'm gonna ask it to you guys. Have you ever considered that you may not be in control of your own life, that you may not be driving the ship? Even worse than that, maybe Jesus is not driving the ship of your own life. Maybe 
insecurities, lies, fear, worry, whatever it is, is actually shaping the course of your life. Without you even knowing it, that could be happening today. And because that is true, that's why Paul says that we need to start our life change with the internal. Romans 12, two on the screen says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Real life transformation, the transformation we dream about, becoming a new person, what we all want to do, doesn't start with just changing our actions. Paul says, if you want to not be conformed to the world, not just go about with every um, wave and sinking stand that you try to build your life on, but actually want to look different, transformation starts with your mind, renewing your mind, changing the way you think. And we need to think about that because our thoughts shed light on what you and I really believe. This is true for everybody. What you really think about the most is what you actually believe. There's two different types of beliefs. There's what I officially believe and what I functionally believe. Let's, for example, if you were to ask me, Brandon, what do you believe? Officially, I would give you a very proper response. If I had the chance to write out a paper, I would. For maybe a company, it would be your mission and vision statement, your core values. That's your official belief. However, your functional beliefs, this is what I know a company believes based on what, how they act, how they operate. I know what they value based on what they do. And that probably sheds more light on what they really believe. Let me give you an example about how this is true in my own life. I'm 22 years old. I'm a diehard South Carolina Gamecocks fan. And officially, I have never predicted for South Carolina to lose a football game, ever. If you could pull up the records, if you could pull up the books, you would never see out of my mouth, South Carolina is going to lose this week. That's what I officially believe. Functionally, if you were to see how I am acting an hour before kickoff, if you were to see the stress level I operate under a drive into the game, you would begin to think, you know what? Brandon's not that stupid. Like, he, he really doesn't have that much confidence in his Gamecocks. That is what I functionally believe. Also, I'm just going to let the camera show right here. I'm officially calling the upset 28-24 Carolina over Clemson in three weeks. You heard it here first. You can take my words for it. I'm not showing up the next day if that doesn't happen, just FYI. But let the camera show. I say all that to say this. Man, there are two types of beliefs, and we need to get to what we functionally believe. We need to get to the root of the issue, and our thoughts shed light on that. Your worry about the future, um, your worry about whether that broken relationship is ever going to be healed and it consumes your mind, maybe, just maybe, that's pointing to a deeper belief issue that you really don't believe God's gonna work out all things for your good. Maybe if you're consumed by thoughts of an addiction or a sin issue, you can't shake it, it consumes your life, you would never officially say this, but functionally what you actually believe is this, that Jesus is not better than that. Fill in the blank what that is. That's what you're functionally believing. And so you and I have to find 
our thoughts. We have to think about what we think about so we can change the way we live our life. Because what we believe as true in our head affects the way we love God and love others. And so, because that is true, because our thoughts really do determine our actions, secondly, we need to see how God wants to change our thoughts. God wants to change our thoughts. Let's reread those two verses, Philippians 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we release our anxiety through prayer, as we experience the peace of God, the next step is to think and act on these things. The peace that we receive from God is not meant to lead to passivity, to lead us to sit here empty. No, we are called to intentionally think about these things. And the word that Paul really says, it's a stronger word than think. It's meditate, it's ponder. Do I surround my life and my mind with these things? And so I'm just gonna touch on a few of the things that Paul says should consume your mind. First, he says, whatever is true. More than just factual, I mean truth in the way that you can depend on these things. How often is our mind consumed about the things we think we can trust, the things we hope we can trust, the things that we hope happens one day? If you're like me, oftentimes my mind is consumed by future hypothetical situations. Like, what if this were to happen to me in six months? How would I handle it? What if this happened in two years? And your mind gets filled with worry over things that aren't true and things you can't count on. God is saying, focus, think, and meditate on the things that are dependable. And not to oversimplify everything, I think the one thing we know we can only trust is this right here, God's word. But how often do we set ourselves in positions to actually think about these things constantly? Maybe just what you need to do is surround your office with a few sticky notes of scripture so you can think about the word of God more than your 10 minute quiet time. Maybe it should be the background on your phone. Maybe there's other ways you know it should look, but how am I going to start thinking about true things if it doesn't expand outside the 10 minutes I read God's word each day? What can I do to meditate on this stuff? So think about what's true. Then he says, think about what is pure. And I think Paul takes it up a whole nother notch right here when he says, think about the things that are pure. This implies a sense of holiness, being set apart, thinking something different than the world does. And for us, we already see this high calling, live a holy life. Paul is saying, think a holy life. Think a different thought. And just to be completely honest, for some of us, that will be impossible. And why that's impossible is because we only consume our minds with things that are the exact opposite of this. Think about the things you watch on TV. Is that going to help you think pure thoughts? Is that going to help you look different than what everyone else thinks about? Think about the things that are on your social media page, what you scroll through every single day, what you fill your mind with. 
How are you ever going to live out God's calling to think pure thoughts if all you put in your mind are unpure things? Paul is saying, think something different, think something pure. Surround yourself with something pure first. So love or truth, purity, and then lastly, he says, think about the things that are lovely. A commentary says it very simply, think about the things that bring forth love, that call forth love. Oftentimes, we just think about the things that people have done against us, think about the bad things, think about the things that cause us bitterness in our hearts. Man, Paul is saying, think about the things that bring forth love, that help you love others and love God better. And I think for a lot of us, the source of us not living this out are the people we surround ourselves with. Man, how often are the people in our lives just pointing us to bitterness and hatred? Surround yourself with people who help you bring forth love out of your heart, to think on lovely things. There's a longer list than that, and every word has good meaning, intentional meaning. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to tell us we need to completely reshape the way we think, completely reshape what you and I think about. And when we do, verse 9 ends in this way, and the God of peace will be with you. It's a conditional phrase. It's a phrase to a certain degree, if our obedience, if our thought life is out of sync with what God has called us to, there's no way we can experience the peace and the presence of God. It's not transactional. It's not like you were a good boy today. Okay, here's your reward. Here's a little bit of peace. It's the natural result of being with Jesus. I spend time with Jesus. I'm in his word. I think about Jesus. I do life with Jesus. And naturally, you're gonna experience the peace that comes with the presence of Jesus. This is what God is offering us here. In verse seven, he promises us a peace that will guard our hearts and mind a peace that I don't have to just respond to my emotions. I don't have to just react to my thoughts, but God gives me a peace that actually protects my mind from the wrong and untrue things, from the insecurities that I so often believe. And then verse nine says, there's a peace that just comes with his presence. That's real. That can, we, can, we can experience that. But if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, Brandon, man, you just have no idea how hard this is for me. You don't know what's going on in my head. You don't know the things I think about, the things I believe as true for myself. Like, have you not just looked around, seen the world around you, what's going on? How can I actually experience peace in my mind, not have to react to every whim that goes on in my head? Man, these last few minutes, I just wanna spend some time talking through, man, what it would look like to replace these lies with truth. And so Craig Rochelle, um, he gets into the science of all this stuff in his book. And I'm not a science guy. I actually hate science. And so I'm gonna try to dumb this down for us as much as I possibly can to where it makes sense in my brain. And so the way he puts it, he says, every thought that you believe creates a neural pathway in your brain. First of all, I cannot wait to tell my mom I use the word neural pathway in a sermon. She's about to be stoked. What a flex. Um, but every thought we think in our brain produces a neural pathway. And that pathway creates 
makes it easier and easier for us to think the same thought over and over and over again. Imagine like a rut on a dirt road. You drive over it once or twice, you create this rut, and then after that, it's just easy and natural for the car to find that rut again and again and again. The same thing is true with our mind and our thoughts. We think a thought, it becomes easier to think again. It actually gets to the point where if we think a thought so many times, our brain starts to look for evidence to support it, to start to prove that is true. And I know this is true because if you were to look back on your life, you probably remember a comment that someone made to you 15 or 20 years ago. And still, things you see, things you think will bring back that same thought over and over and over again. It's because you've wired your brain to think that thought. If we're ever gonna overcome this, if we're ever gonna overcome the worry and the lies and the thoughts in our brain, you and I have to create a new path. We have to create a new rut. It's kind of the equation here. Every lie you believe, you need to believe something true plus one. Every lie I believe, I need to now think something true plus one. And so I'm just gonna give you a few examples of what that has looked like in my life, man, kind of some exercises I've worked through. But I hope that during this time, I would challenge you to examine your heart, examine your mind, examine your thoughts, and write down the one lie you most often believe about yourself. That one insecurity, that one fear that consumes your mind, write it down, look at it, embrace it, and then we'll come back on how we can prove it is true. But for me, so often, just an example for myself, I believe that just in general, I'm not good enough. Like maybe I'm not good enough for other people. Maybe this whole ministry thing isn't cut out for me. The verse, the truth that I have to hold on to is this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It ends out by saying, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In my own thought life, I have two options. To think that I'm not enough, to think I'm not good enough, and to sulk on that, to train my brain to think that is true, to pick up every little piece of evidence to support that, or I can believe something different and believe something better. That even though I'm not all that, even though I'm not enough, God wants to use my weakness. And that's something I can sit on and think about and train my brain to believe as true. Another one, uh, I think I can believe that I'll never feel God as close. I'll never feel God as a friend like I want to, like I think I should. So again, I can be discouraged. I can think that all day long and work up some worry, or I can believe something else. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That God is present, he's near. If I draw near, he's gonna draw near back. Another truth to replace a lie. I'm gonna fire out a few that I think a lot of us believe pretty regularly. Some people in this room are trapped by an addiction, trapped by a sin. It's really hard to think about anything other than it. It's hard to even imagine freedom on the other side. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self 
was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. If that's you, remind yourself this morning, I no longer am enslaved to sin. There is freedom offered. And think about that so your actions look different. Some of us live worried that God will not provide. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You can trust that man, even in all the struggles, even in the future that is so uncertain, you can trust that God is not gonna withhold anything from you that you need, anything from you if you're walking uprightly with him. And then one more. I think some people in this room are probably consumed. The thought you think about the most is a past mistake, a mistake that causes shame and guilt that makes you feel unworthy, that makes you feel like you can never serve in the church or lead the right family or whatever it is. We're consumed by that. And there's a voice in our head that brings it up over and over and over again. If that's you, the truth you need to hear is this. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If there's a voice in your head reminding you of a past mistake, you can know that voice is not from God because he promises us to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. All these examples are here to show you that if you're going to fight the war in your mind, you have to go on the attack. You have to believe something that's true. Truth is not gonna fall into your lap. Look at the world around us. Again, it's most natural to think on the things that aren't lovely, aren't true, aren't pure. You have to take the initiative to believe a different thought because it's not your circumstances, past or present, that is causing you to not experience the peace of God. That's not the problem. The problem is your worry and your anxiety about the problems. That is what's keeping you from seeing God's truth and peace. So for every lie you believe, maybe today just think of one, for every lie you believe, write it down, go into God's word, and find something as true to combat that. I just want us to think as we close out here today, think back to when you were a kid. And for a lot of us, I know as kids, we were scared of thunderstorms. And so go back, think as a kid, you're in your bed, you're under the covers, you're hiding, you're holding your bear, whatever you're doing, and you're just waiting for this storm to go away. You're telling yourself, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. I can make it through one more hour, 30 more minutes. Finally, there's the cracking of the lightning and you just jump out of bed. You just run to your parents' room, you hop in bed and they hold you tight. And all of a sudden things start to feel better. Why did you even run in the first place though? Because you trust them and you trust that at least in their presence, I can feel a little bit of peace. Now I just wonder for us, how much different would things be if you trusted your heavenly father like that, as bigger than the storm, as someone you could run to in time of trouble? How much different would life be if you thought that maybe you could overcome these insecurities by yourself, these wrong truths, if you could just do it by yourself? How much different would it be that 
in the chaos of our family and finances and future and relationships and all of it, if we would just stop hunkering down, believing, okay, this is just a season, I'll make it through. God, maybe just this is a few more months and it's gonna get better. What would look different instead of just hunkering down, bracing the storm, you ran to your heavenly father, tears and all, worried and all, anxious and all, and you just sat there in his presence, knowing that there is peace with him in the middle of the storm. That is something you can experience this morning. Why we taught this series is not because peace with God, peace in his presence, peace that guards your hearts and minds, that's not just something that's so unattainable. The desired outcome of waging war is peace and peace is actually promised with God. Renew your mind, start to think about the things that are true and lovely. Release those insecurities and fears to Jesus. Start to trust that in him, there is a foundation that is so sure and so sweet that there is peace in the middle of the storm. Man, I would just challenge you today, go home. Man, preachers don't normally offer homework or assign homework. Go home, write out a lie you believe, and then look up, man, how can I, how can I combat that with something true in God's word? Rewire your brain to think something different. Experience the peace that surpasses understanding. I'm gonna pray for us real quick. God, we love you so much. And we're just so thankful for who you are. Jesus, this morning, I know there are people who walked into this room carrying a lot, carrying a lot of fear, carrying a lot of worry. God, I know that there are people who are just hurting. Man, they don't even see across the other side of the storm, God, they don't think there's any hope. I'm just believing and praying that God, we would trust you, that we would seek after your presence like no other, believing it's better and it's sure. And then God, I, I just pray over the person who walked into this room and they haven't experienced your peace because they've never experienced your presence. God, there is no relationship with you. I'm praying that this morning they would have a conversation before they leave here today and walk into the freedom that you offer, the freedom that fully, completely transforms us, even our minds, God. We love you. Bless this next time of worship. We ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's name, amen.